Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, we're wrapping up our preaching series on the trellis this morning. Um, We've been in a 10, 12-week preaching series looking at the different spiritual disciplines and practices that are found in and modeled for us in the life of Jesus. We've been really practical in this series as we endeavor to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And we've gone through the different rhythms, principles, practices of what it looks like to implement these disciplines in the structure and, and rhythm of our Monday to Sunday. And today we're wrapping up that series, uh, or this series, looking at what is a rule of life. How do we take what we've learned over the last 10 to 12 weeks, how do we take that and implement it into the, very practically into the rhythms and flow of my Monday and my Thursday? So if you've got your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 1. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you don't mind. And the the words will come on the screen. I'm going to read from the message translation this morning simply because it's a beautiful um, interpretation of this passage. The Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you or is dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. God is the one who brings the best out of you. I love this passage. Hey, I don't know. How do you wake up in the morning? What does your, your wake up schedule look like? Maybe you can relate. 6.09, 6, my alarm clock's going. I've snoozed or I've overslept again. Stayed up too late last night watching the Lakers win again, uh, you know, reach for my phone, just start to scroll, Instagram, email, text message, Benji's message me, you need to go for a meeting, okay, enough, got to get out of bed, get up, go wake the kids up, Nova, our golden doodles running around like crazy, and jumping, pouncing everywhere, kids, Caleb needs his hair done, and it's a bit of chaos, okay, we're late now, we're really late, let's flip an egg, shove some breakfast down all our throats, hurry out the door to the world of noise. Does any of this hypothetical, right, uh, scenario sound a little bit familiar, maybe even normal? If it does, you're not alone. This is how the majority of modern people begin their day. Up to 87% of people sleep next to their phones, and most check their phones within 15 minutes of waking. One in four people have literally or often sleep with their devices in their hand, Once we're out of bed, we go searching for our next fix. The average person, get this, touches their smartphone 2,617 times a day, and the number is twice that for the most extreme users. We hurry through our day, reaching for the digital appendage, looking for our devices to calm our anxieties, focus our minds, give us that fleeting feeling of connection 
and happiness. Yet any objective observer of this kind of life will realize that we're just chasing the hamster wheel, always running away from our fears, towards our false needs and desires, but never really coming to true peace and never really coming to God. One writer puts it this way, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We're so used to this hurry and this digital distraction and soul-numbing busyness that we now have become to just think in 2023 that this is normal life. But what if there was another way? What if there was another way, not just to begin our day, but actually spend our days differently? What if we could wake up and then spend our day with Jesus? Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we're doing. She goes on to talk about a schedule. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It's a peace and and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat in which you find yourself decades later still living. Now, in preparation for this holiday season of uh, Thanksgiving and turkey and stuffing and marshmallows on top of my vegetables, and then the Christmas season that's now up and happening with all the wonderful, jolly food that comes with Christmas, I've been working. I know it doesn't look like it, but I've been working out a bit, trying to just prepare the, my physical body to handle the uh, influx of food. And uh, I've, been, I've been working out in the garage at home, set, got a little setup there, and uh, doing these online workouts with the screen and... And, uh, okay, fine, it's Peloton. I've been doing Peloton. And uh, one of the Peloton instructors had this quote that I was like, man, I'm going to use that in a preach. So straight from the mouth of a Peloton instructor, he said, we can waste our time, we can spend our time, or we can invest our time. We can waste our time, spend our time, or invest our time. As a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, we are invited to invest our time around three driving goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. And while it's not a three-step formula, there is a natural progression that takes place. The more time we are with Jesus, the more we are transformed into His image, and the more we become like Him, the We just find ourselves doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. And all of this, friends, is a lifelong spiritual journey. It's not a one-time fix or an overnight change. It's a lifelong journey in the direction of Jesus. And while no two people's spiritual journeys should or do look the same, all spiritual journeys start off at the same point. All of us start off by saying yes to the invitation of Jesus. And Jesus' invitation is, come, follow me. And so when we say yes to this invitation from Jesus, what we are saying yes to is a life of intentional effort found within the structure and rhythm of our day-to-day, everyday stuff of life. We say yes to being with Jesus, who himself actually promises us that he will be with us always. Now, here's the thing. Me and you, we need to learn how can we be with Jesus not in the silence and order of a monastery at some retreats in the rolling hills of Malibu, but in the noise and the chaos of the everyday stuff of life. We need to learn how to practice the presence of God, to quote Brother Lawrence, in an environment of smartphones and Wi-Fi and traffic and noise and school drop-offs and project deadlines. We must learn how to be with Jesus within the contours of our everyday life, not the idealized version of the life that we 
wish we had or the life we used to have, but actually within the structure of the life that you currently have as a mom or a dad, a brother, sister, entrepreneur, designer, student, what does following Jesus in the day-to-day stuff of your life now look like? Because the aim of a disciple of Jesus is to arrange or build out our everyday ordinary life so that you and I can experience real joy, real peace, real love in God's presence all day long. Not just on a Sunday when I go to my open table on those fleeting moments, worship nights, but actually what does it look like to experience the power of God when I sit down at my desk at work tomorrow in the everyday stuff? And in order to do this, we need to live differently. We call this consecration in the Christian church. We need to live consecrated lives. St. Benedict, in his rule of life, his structure, he said that our way of acting or living should be different to the world's way. The love of Christ needs to be come before all else. He's saying, hey, we need to, our lives need to look different to the life of the rest of the world. So let's look at that passage from Romans chapter 12 again. I'm going to read it again and just consider what this passage and this invitation would look like for you in your life now. So here's what I want you to do. The Apostle Paul says, we've got to do something. There's something to be done. In fact, he goes on to say, God helping you, meaning when we do something, as we are proactive, this is actually the moment where God can start to help us. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. It's an invitation to a different life. In Leviticus 20, we read and we are invited to consecrate ourselves and to be holy, meaning follow the way of Jesus and live a different life. To consecrate means to set ourselves apart in dedication for God's special purposes. In the Bible, almost anything and everything can be set apart, from people to animals, physical places, buildings, clothing, period of time, even food. A few examples, in the beginning, God set apart the seventh day of the week as a day of rest and made it holy. He consecrated that day. In Exodus, consecration finds a whole new level as God asks the Israelites to set apart their firstborn children and their livestock. Later on Mount Sinai, Moses commands the Israelite nation to consecrate themselves. They wash their clothes, abstain from sexual intimacy, and on the third day, they waited for God's glory to descend on Mount Sinai. Throughout the book of Leviticus, God's people consecrated everything that was used in the sacred place of the tabernacle, from priests to altars and utensils, even the incense was consecrated. Jesus himself practices consecration. Before Jesus steps out into ministry, he goes into the wilderness and consecrates himself with a 40-day fast. So why? Why is this important? Why does God invite us or ask for this level of dedication and devotion? Is it just a way so that you and I can live like religious, structured lives and prove ourselves before God? 
Or worse, is it intended to appease God's needs and His anger, like we have to earn something? Well, consecration isn't about appeasing the fickle demands of an overbearing deity. It's about making ourselves available to God so that He can make us holy and set us apart for His good purposes to be realized in my life and then use us for His good purposes out in the world. Consecration is a way that we, you and me as human beings, can choose to open ourselves up to receive more of God, set ourselves apart in love so that the lover of our souls can saturate us. See, when it comes to consecration, the best example I can think of is a wedding. Just picture a wedding. When two people give themselves over to each other in marriage, it may, that what makes the moment so special is that both people are choosing to set themselves apart for the sake of the other lover. So Caitlin and I, as we are 12 and a half years of marriage, you know, when we came together on our wedding day 12 and a half years ago, we, what we did in that moment is we decided, it was a choice that we both made, to purposefully limit ourselves from any other option for the sake of giving ourselves over to each other as whole as we could. So when we consecrate ourselves to God, what we are doing is we're giving ourselves over to Him and limiting ourselves from all the other options of the world and saying, God, I'm available to you. And we open up ourselves to the Lord so that He can fill us with His best to transform our worst. I believe what the world needs now more than ever is men and women who are set apart for the Lord. We need families to be set apart for God. We need students in the different universities around our city set apart unto the Lord. We need dining room tables in the different homes and different hostels around our city to be set apart for God. We need businesses and schools consecrated unto the Lord. We need to set ourselves apart for God so that we can enjoy His good purposes and then be used for His good purpose out in the world. Now, in order for us to be consecrated, the first thing we need to do, the first task of consecration is to set the intentions of our hearts. To actually say, okay, what is the deepest desire in my heart? We need to get in touch with our desire for Jesus and ask the Spirit of God to cultivate a growing and deepening desire for Christ in our lives and then we need to decide to spend our everyday ordinary lives with Him. There is a choice that needs to be made. It's not enough to just say, I believe or I agree. That's the starting point. That's great. But then we move on from that point of salvation towards wholeness in Christ with very intentional, practical decisions and choices that we make that impact the Monday to Sunday of our lives. So we need to make a choice. We need to choose to take the necessary steps, even if they require some level of sacrifice. There's a monkish saying that goes, every choice is a thousand renunciations, meaning to say yes to spending our days with Jesus will oftentimes mean saying no to a bunch of other people, activities or habits or things that we used to be involved in. To repeat the theme from John Mark Homer's Practicing the Way, he says, and this is key, good intentions, they're not enough. A lot of people genuinely desire to be with Jesus. A lot of you would be, you know, maybe this, this is maybe not the first time you've heard or an invitation to give ourselves over to Jesus. And we've said yes numerous times in the past. And maybe even right now, for the first time or for the umpteenth time, there's like an 
I want to be consecrated unto the Lord. And there is a genuine, heartfelt desire and a good intention to do so. But the problem comes in is that we don't make the small, necessary changes to the daily rhythms of our regular, everyday stuff of life so that this deep desire of being with Jesus can actually become our reality. Not because we're bad people, oftentimes, just because we're distracted or we're too busy, we're just caught up in other stuff. So in order to combat this, the solution is we need to have a plan. Now, we don't like talking about having a plan in the evangelical church because that feels really religious, but here's the truth. We need a plan. We need a set of practices and rhythms and relational structures, which is also known as a rule of life in the Christian tradition, to see that vision of being with Jesus, not just on a Sunday, but all day, every day, become our regular reality. So we need a plan. We need a rule of life. And so to wrap up this series, as we've looked at all the different principles and practices of what it means to follow Jesus, here's how we're going to implement this in the daily structure of our lives. So we're getting super practical. We're building out a plan. Now, it needs to be your plan, not my plan. It should and can be different, and it should be custom designed for your personality, your life stage, and your situation. So let's just start off by asking, what is a rule of life? In the book, The Vision and the Vow, Pete Gregg tells us that a rule of life is a set of principles and practices we build into the rhythm of our daily lives, helping us deepen our relationship with God to serve Him more faithfully. If creeds are what we believe and Christ is why we believe, a rule is how we seek to live out that faith day to day as disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to talk about how a rule of life brings about personal transformation, but actually, as a result, starts to transform an entire community as we pursue Jesus together. He goes on to say that the disciplines which we build into the rhythm of, our, of life help us to shed the old self and allow the new self in Christ to be formed. Ultimately, a rule of life should help you love God more. So this is not about just putting structure or rules or plans in your life. This is actually about creating space for us to learn how to love God more. Rich Velotis goes on to say, a rule of life is not a to-do list. It's a formation framework, a prayer document, a collection of spirit-empowered practices used for the purpose of discerning God's leading in a particular season of our lives. And Pete Scazzaro says that a rule of life is a call to order our entire life in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else. Nurturing a spiritual life of depth in our present-day culture will require a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. We have a plan for just about anything. You want to you lose weight, so we plan out a diet, and we plan out an exercise routine. We, we have a plan. If you want to do anything in life, if you want to become a doctor, we have a plan. You go to university, you take these courses, you do these internships. We create plans for anything in our life, but yet we have neglected to create a plan for how we are formed into the image of Jesus, which is a pretty hard standard to achieve. I'll ask you, what do you hear when you think of the word rule? Many of us have negative connotations when you think of that word, but when we're talking about uh, a rule of life, we're not talking about boundaries that forbid us of doing, for doing something. What we're actually talking about is something completely different. A rule of life, rather than being a set of laws that forbid us from doing certain things, 
A rule of life is a set of guidelines that support or enable the things that you really want to do. So it's a desire. I want to be with Jesus. A rule of life is supporting, not restricting, but supporting you to achieve the thing that you really want and desire most in life. A, a um, monastic community in their rule of life, life states, a rule of life serves as a framework for freedom. Love that. This is not about a list of rules. It's, it's not going to restrict. It's a framework for freedom, not as a set of rules that restrict or deny life, but as a way of life, living out our vocation alone and together. A rule, then, is a means whereby, under God, we take responsibility for the pattern of our spiritual lives. It is a measure rather than a law. The word rule has bad connotations for many, implying restrictions, limitations, and legalistic attitudes, but a rule is essentially about freedom. It helps us stay centered, bringing perspective and clarity to the way of life to which God has called us. And so a rule of life helps us to clarify our deepest values, our most important relationships, our most authentic hopes and dreams, our most meaningful work, and our highest priorities. A rule of life helps and allows us to live with the intention and purpose in order to achieve what we want most in the present moments. So the word rule I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but a the word rule derives from the Latin word, which is, I think it's regular. Let's just go with that. It's regular, which means, or gives us the imagery of a trellis. So what's a trellis? I'm not into agriculture, but a trellis basically is, uh, if you're growing a vine, particularly, let's talk about a grapevine, you'll put a trellis in place, and you plant the the seeds of that vine at the base of the trellis. And as the plant grows, the trellis gives direction and structure so that the plant can grow, flourish, thrive in a particular direction and bear much fruit. A rule of life is both descriptive and prescriptive. It's descriptive in that it articulates our intentions and identifies the way in which we should live, like a trellis for a plant, shows the, the plant where to grow. But it's also prescriptive in that when we fall short, because we're humans, we will mess up from time to time. That's not our desire, but unfortunately, that happens. When that happens, the rule of life becomes prescriptive in that it shows us how we can return back to the path that we've mapped out for ourselves and recapture and live into that original vision of following Jesus. It's not something fixed or rigid. A rule of life is something that can and should be adapted to our present circumstances and shaped to fit our particular context, needs, and desires. So a rule of life is an invitation to life in all its fullness, depending on God and then listening attentively for his, to His voice and His leading and guidance. And, and, and it's fulfilled in the routines and of the everyday life, bursting forth from a well-ordered heart, resulting in a well-ordered way. See, all of us, friends, whether we know it or not, we have unwritten rules of life that we are living according to right now. Some of us with great clarity and some of us unknowingly. Think about it. We all wake up at a certain time. You set an alarm, you wake up at a certain time, you have a particular rhythm that you go through in getting ready for the morning as productive or unproductive as that may be. We, we use our free time for an assortment of purposes. We practice rhythms of work and rest and hobbies and worship and vacation. We all are already following a rule of life. There's already a rule of life at, in place in your life right now, today. I believe that it's time that we give up our unwritten rules of life and prayerfully consider and write out a 
rule of life that more closely matches the heartbeat of God and the invitation of Jesus that will produce life and life in the full. When we fail to consider our day-to-day walk with Christ and we just live haphazardly, we end up growing like wild, untamed grapevines. We will produce some fruit. Chances are, though, we won't be as productive and abundant as we could be. Instead, we'd be also become vulnerable to the threats, the things that will threaten our spiritual vitality. However, when we are intentional about how we live out the day-to-day stuff of our life, following the way of Jesus, when we are intentionally reflective, prayerful, and attentively responsive to His ways, we become like cultivated grapevines. We bear much fruit. We grow on a trellis or a rule of life, cultivated towards maturity and fullness of Christ, and we become spiritually mature so that we can enjoy God's good purposes in our life and be used for God's good purposes out in the world. Margaret Gutner says, a good rule can set you free to be our true and our best selves. This is not about restriction. This is about fullness and freedom and life. So how do I craft a rule of life? What's the, do I, I want this, what do I do? There's no right way. Um, there, there are, however, some best practices that would be wise to follow and incorporate at some level. Morning prayer, Sabbath, going to church on Sunday, community, regular rest, Bible reading, fasting, in Thanksgiving, generosity, celebration. We've covered these over the past 10 to 12 weeks. If you want to go listen, you can get on the podcast or go online. But there's no real one-size-fits-all. At the end of the service, we're going to get a handout, and Caitlin's going to talk through it. And I know this feels like really like homework and like practical, but I really believe that if we can give some intentional uh, focus in how we live out our lives, we can create space for the Spirit of God to to push us and form us into the image of Jesus. So Caitlin will explain that at the end of the service, but when you're building out a rule of life, as you consider like how do I function in my day-to-day, here are five steps that I think will be really helpful uh, to consider. Simple, specific, sustainable, season, and support. Let's go through that really briefly. Firstly, just keep it simple. So many of us are like, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then we like change everything. That's just not, and we'll get to one of our other points, sustainable. Keep it simple. Do a few things and do them really well. Make small changes that are doable and achievable. And then be specific, point number two. Don't just say like, I'm going to pray more. Be like really specific about it. Say, I'm going to pray for five minutes after dinner with my family every night. The more specific we can be, the better chance there is of us actually following through with that intention. And then that leads on to the third point, the more sustainable it's actually going to be. Eugene Peterson talks about the spiritual journey and the spiritual life being a long obedience in the same direction. I want to still be following Jesus with greater levels of passion and desire when I'm 80, 90 years old. So we've got to build out a life that's sustainable, that I can actually get to that point. Fourthly, we need to consider our season. What's your life stage? You know, two young boys with lots of uh, passion and energy, I'm probably not going to have the best, like, morning devotional quiet times, unless I get up at 4 a.m. You know, maybe you're an empty nester, and that's a way more doable scenario for you. So consider what is reasonable and practical within the structure of your daily life as it is right now. And fifthly, and this is the most important one, look for support. 
who relationally can you connect with and do life with and journey with and be in relationship with that will help you in your rule of life, who, who can walk with you in that season, in this season. This is where the, the beauty of the local church is found, the, the positive of being part of a community of people. James Clear, in his excellent book called Atomic Habits, he says one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits, or in our case, practice a rule of life and follow Jesus, is to join a culture where your desired behavior is normal behavior. New habits seem achievable when you see others doing them every day. If you're surrounded by fit people, you're more likely to consider working out to be a common habit. If you're surrounded by jazz lovers, you're more likely to believe it's reasonable to play jazz every day. Your culture sets your expectation for what is normal. Surround yourself with people who have the habits you want to have yourself. You will rise together. We want to rise together. John Tyson, he says, talking about this idea of doing a rule of life in community, he says, I am basically convinced that without a shared rule of life based on tangible practices, discipleship won't happen in the Western context. He says, radical individualism and consumerism are simply too overwhelming as seductive forces for individual Christians to resist. And James Clear goes on to say, nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to a tribe or a church. It transforms our personal quest into a shared one. Previously, you were on your own. Your identity was singular. You are a reader. You are a musician. You are an athlete. When you join a book club or a band or a cycling group, your identity becomes linked to those around you. Growth and change is no longer an individual pursuit. We are readers. We are musicians. We are cyclists. The shared identity begins to reinforce your personal identity. This is why remaining part of a group after achieving a goal is crucial to maintaining your habits. It's friendship and community that embed a new identity and help behaviors last over the long run. A long obedience in the same direction found in the context of community as we pursue Jesus together. So to close, as we wrap up our time, here's what, here's what I, want, I want you to know. I believe in the Western church, we have been involved in a conspiracy. I believe we've been involved in a conspiracy to rob us of our burning passion for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. And we've settled for less than God's kingdom vision here on earth as it is in heaven. We're happy to enjoy Jesus on a Sunday or at our open table or at some other Christian event, but we've settled for less than what Jesus intended, which was his presence in our lives and power moving every day, all day me encountering the presence of God as I sit down at my desk to study or work or drop the kids off at school. I believe there's been a conspiracy to rob us of a devotion for Jesus in the everyday stuff of life, and we've settled for less than God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we've settled for less than what the Father wants for you in your life now. You may be sitting here thinking today, why, this is so intense, like, now we're going to go and write out a rule of life, and there's so much effort, I've got to consider these things, I'm going to live according, it seems pretty religious and intense. You might be thinking, well, I live a pretty good life, go to church, don't cuss, I like, you know, I'm pretty, eat good food, and practice wellness, and, you know, I'm, you might think, my neighbor Bob, not Bobby, we, Bobby's great, but my neighbor Bob, Bob, this guy's like, that guy's a mess. To see his family in his life, I'm better than Bob. You know, Bob doesn't go to church. I go to church. I'm a good dude. I, I like give money to the poor and pick up litter. 
You can see Bob. You can see how he lives his life. He's doing his own thing, living life on his own terms. Unless I like kind of try, surely that's enough. Surely, friends, let me ask you, when did Bob become our standard? <laughs> Within the church, when did we settle to let Bob define what is pursuing Jesus and following him? Surely our standard is Jesus Christ himself and the fullness of abundant life that he has on offer for us that is freely available as a gift of grace. So this is not about putting rules and structure in our lives so that the church once again can control what I do or my... No. This is about making ourselves available to the Spirit of God, shaping and forming me into the image of Christ so that I can be all that God created to me to be, experience all the love, grace, and mercy that is on offer to me, and then be used for God's purposes to live on mission in the world to see His kingdom come in San Diego as it is in heaven. C.S. Lewis says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Don't settle for less than a burning passion and desire for Jesus to manifest his presence and power in your life. Building out a rule of life is not about having a cute little devotional life. So it's not about rules and structure. It's also not about cute. Let me tell you, my devotional times with the Lord are the cutest amongst us. I, I have a leather-bound goatskin Bible with like I specifically chose because it's the awesome font. I've got three satin ribbons on that puppy. It's beautiful. Then I light my light church candle. I like the downtown one, you know, representing. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I light that up and enjoy the scent. I'm with uh, William Augusto playing in the background, ambient music, just like, I've got the cutest devotional life among us, let me tell you. But this is not about cute devotional lives. This is about abundant life and life to the full. It's about living with intentionality and power and a life of beauty that is compelling and awe and wonder manifesting in my spirit. It's about having impact and desire shape and form me into the image of Christ. There's a book. I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it, but it's just too good not to repeat. It's a book called The Sayings of, a De- of the Desert Fathers. And there's a conversation between this junior desert father and this like OG desert father, like the main dog. And the, the junior guy's name is Abelot, and the main dude, his name is Abelot. Joseph, it's like Father Joseph, and Abelot comes up to Father Joseph, and he's like, Abba, as far as I can, I'm doing my daily office, I'm living out my rule of life, I'm saying my little prayers, and I fast from time to time, and I meditate, and I live at peace, and as far as I can, I purify my thoughts, and I live holy. He's like, hey, this is what basically is, Abelot comes, he's like, hey, look, man, doing my daily devos, fasting every now and then, I'm working on peace, I'm resisting evil. Well, surely there's got to be more than this. I feel unfulfilled. I'm doing all the stuff, but it's just, what else I got to do? Surely there's more. And here's what his mentor says. In answer to Abelot's question, Joseph, he, he stands up, and I quote from the book, he stretches up his hands towards the heavens, and it says that his hands, his fingers turned like 10 lampstands pointing towards the sky as, as fire burned from within his eyes, and he said to his young little protege, he said, if you will, you can become all flame. He's like, listen, dude, stop messing around, focusing on the small stuff, 
practice this, open yourself up to the Spirit of God moving, and you can become all flame. Like your Monday to Friday, your, you can't, your inner world can be a world of passion and desire for Jesus. Not like burning little nodes of devotional desire, but like your whole life can become all flame, a burning passion for God, realize and manifest in your daily experience. That's a vision. That's a vision for our lives. We can become, if we want, all flame. So we are invited, friends, not to cute little devotional lives or to rules and all of which are great. We are invited by the creator of the universe to partner with him to right the wrongs and effects of sin in this world, to establish His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, and it starts when we live with intentionality and we make small choices that affect our tomorrow morning and lunch break. We we do this through intentionality, a rule of life, bursting forth from a well-ordered heart that results in a well-ordered way so that we may abide in the vine and then bear much fruit. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship for a bit and then go on to the other stuff of the service. But I want to read this quote, and then we're just going to do a little bit of worship. Frederick Buechner, he says this. One life on earth is all we get. Whether it is enough or not enough, the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least, we are fools if we do not live it as bravely and beautiful, as fully, bravely, and beautifully as we can. And so this is about living a beautiful life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to worship for a bit, and then we'll close out our time. Father, we thank you that you pursue us in your love, and that you desire to fill us with your presence, shape us into the image of Jesus, so that we can be with you, become like you, and do the things that you did. We ask, Lord God, that your spirit would descend and fill us with your best and transform our worst. Help us cultivate and build out a structure in our lives that will produce hearts of fire and flame, passion and desire, impact, purpose, beauty, and awe. We love you, Jesus. We submit to you. Our hearts are for you. Holy Spirit, may our praise right now open up the heavens, open up our hearts to be filled with the fullness of Christ as we encounter you this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.